You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show, Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I'm your host, Rick Franzi. We are going to have a great episode today. Why, that you ask? Well, it's obvious. Meg Applegate, co-founder and CEO of Unsilenced, is our guest. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here. Let's get right into it. Give us the origin story. Take us back to the background and then why you decided with your co-founder to launch on silence. Yeah. So I feel really close um, to the purpose of Unsilence because when I was 15 years old, I was actually kidnapped in the middle of the night. It was about 2 a.m. and two strangers approached me, woke me up and said, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And I obviously chose the easy way. Um, and they proceeded to make me get dressed in front of them and go to the bathroom in front of them. And they told me that I'm coming with them. And at that point, I saw my parents uh, at the door and they were crying, saying, we're not abandoning you. And I, I honestly thought I was going to jail. It was just kind of a, you know, that's all you know at age 15, right? And they proceeded to put me in the back of an SUV and they drove me to LAX and they put me on a plane and they escorted me to a lockdown residential treatment center. And I spent the next six months there. But after that, I ended up going to a therapeutic boarding school in Northern Montana. And I spent the next three years there. And, uh, you know, unsilenced, you know, we really focus stopping institutional child abuse. And the reason why I feel so close to that is because that three and a half years I experienced institutional child abuse. And, you know, the movement to end institutional child abuse is, is within the troubled teen industry, which is what we call these types of facilities, is really not new. It's been going on for 50 plus years. However, a year ago, I, I realized the need for social change within the movement that needed to be centered around an organization that put culture first and purpose first, really. And unsilenced volunteers find purpose and value in their work through culture, which you know connects them to the mission in a more meaningful way that then deepens their impact on the community. So that's kind of how unsilenced was founded is I decided that my purpose in life was to make sure that children don't end up in these facilities by leaving their communities and that kids who unfortunately do end up in these facilities are, are supported. That is um, quite a harrowing story. Maybe one that's not um, unfamiliar to people that are listening to the show either directly or they know somebody who knows somebody. And so, you know, you had, and I don't remember exactly how you called the two places that you were being boarded, but they have nice sounding names. Oh, yeah. Um, are they... Before I get into a little bit more about your organization, from your perspective, um, who's the oversight for these on these organizations? Hey, yeah, I mean, there really isn't any one organization looking over these facilities, and depending on the type, obviously. They're all over the United States. They used to be international, but really, there's no virtually no regulations and the regulations that are in place are really set by the state. Mm -hmm. And we know that regulations vary between states. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's it's really presented a really big problem because this industry was started, like I said, 50 plus years ago, and it wasn't built on a foundation that had oversight uh, regulations and or reporting. So we've seen a clear pattern of abuse that's been reported by survivors for the past 50 years. However, there's like no way to really make sure that they're held accountable. And if they are held accountable, what happens is they just restructure, form a new LLC and keep doing the same thing. Oh, and, wow. and furthermore, if we look at child abuse within the home, um, within a familial setting, it's very clear within the laws, what is legal and what it is not legal to do to your child. And if, right. If that happens and CPS gets involved, there's going to be very clear repercussions that come from those behaviors. And for some reason, when we remove the child from the home and we place them in these um, in these facilities, somehow there is no definition of what abuse is. And they kind of skirt out of responsibility by saying things like, oh, well, we know that there was a sexual assault, but they've been fired. So everything's fine oh. now. You know, I mean, th that's literally what they're doing. Um, or, okay. oh, hey, we know there was a death, but, you know, we're, we've changed policies and procedures, you know, and they expect to just be okay. So there's a lot of issues and it's a lot to unpack, but certainly regulations and reporting is a very, very big thing that we need to get straight. Okay, so these are egregious acts, the two that you mentioned, uh, unthinkable, whether it's in the home, in a family member's home, in a stranger's house, but in an institution that you are uh, presumably hiring to care for your child and do some level of rehabilitation or something. This is just, um, this is a case where not knowing is not good enough. You need to know. And so I commend you and your team for bringing this to people's awareness. I'm honored that you're here on our program. Let's let's focus in on Unsilenced. What's yeah. the mission and how are you, what are you doing to bring awareness? Well, just what are you doing? Yeah. So our mission is to stop institutional child abuse by empowering self-advocates to promote lasting social change. So, you know, we're an organization of survivors and allies who are committed to promoting appropriate, healthy and effective alternatives to programs within the troubled teen industry. So we advocate for constructive alternatives that circumvent institutionalization and for children and youth who are struggling with mental health and educational challenges. So by utilizing education, awareness, community support, and even policy change, Unsilence aims to protect the civil, social, and human rights of youth. And one of the main ways that we're doing that is through Project SPEAK. And SPEAK stands for uh, Survivor Prevention Through Education, Awareness, and Knowledge. And this project is all about prevention. And we are entering communities virtually and in person to educate caregivers, school and justice systems, child placing ag agencies, healthcare professionals, and insurance companies on the troubled teen industry to really interrupt that community to institution pipeline that is so prevalent that we're seeing right now. And our goal is to arm the decision makers with the knowledge they need to promote equitable health education and treatment of youth in communities. And so that's really what we're trying to target right now through Project Speak. And that's by partnering with other nonprofits. It's by partnering with um, even other institutions, hospitals, ERs even. You know, we don't really think about the fact where these pipelines are coming from. 
And so we're really targeting who are those decision makers and let's go re-educate them. And then at the baseline of the education is our underlying goal, which is really to de-pathologize mental health, but also adolescents in general. I think that we come from, like when I was growing up, it's, it was very much so like a tough love approach mm -hmm. to parenting. And we're seeing, we're seeing that it's not so recommended anymore. And I think that we need to address that to make the social change needed. Now the kids that had tough love, which obviously was the older generations than me as well, is we're starting to feel like we have some things that happen because of that tough love, right? And so we need to take a look at that and kind of reevaluate what parents are doing or not doing and what behaviors are, while they might be scary, are concerning. And the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of these kids that are ending up in these, in these programs are just acting like normal teenagers and they're sneaking out of the house or they are skipping out in school or experimenting with drugs or starting to get sexually active. And these are very scary things. Like I don't want to minimize how scary this is for parents, right. but I think that we need to readdress um, how we react in these certain situations mm -hmm. to, or the, the longevity of the health of the youth. So that's kind of what Project Speak is trying to do. And um, that's really the prevention aspect of that. And then we also have other ways that we're trying to support survivors. And one of the ways we're doing that is through our independence packs. Independence packs are backpacks that we're putting together for kids who are aging out of the program, which is a term we use for kids that turn 18. And because of the breakdown in communication and relationships that happen in while you're in the program with your parents, a lot of these kids end up facing homelessness and, hmm. and end up on the streets. And it is very, very prevalent. So what we are doing is pr providing these independence packs, which has like a laptop, it's got some gift cards, necessities, hygiene products, flashlight, uh, those kinds of things. And then the laptop is also loaded with extensive resources for that national resources for LGBTQ plus. Have you been a, um, a victim of domestic violence? Are you needing suicide prevention? It's just chocked full of that, those kind of resources. And then also, you know, templates on how to write a resume, how to get a free mm -hmm. cell phone through the state, things like that. So we're really trying to identify uh, youth who are fresh out of the program and needing that support so we can do that as well. So Meg, how big is this? Like, can you give, give me a sense for scale? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's huge. We're talking about 23 billion in public funds, our tax dollars that are going towards these facilities. And then we're also, that's not even counting that estimate because there's no way to actually know how much parents are personally spending to send their kids to these facilities. But when you look at how much these facilities cost, which is anywhere from five to $30,000 a month, if you add that onto the 23 billion, that's a substantial amount of money. And yeah, so it's, it's a big issue. And anywhere from 120,000 to 200,000 children are finding themselves in these facilities yearly. So how many? 120,000 to 200,000 a year are housed in these facilities. And so if you think about it, at that rate, there, there's probably someone you know that you don't even know about that has been to one. Well, there's, um, 
So there's the situation that drives a set of parents to take this road because obviously I can't speak for them, but I would imagine they feel that they're unable to control for whatever reason and they need help. So, the, but the ex, I would think the expectation is this is going to help their child and right. your direct experience and your understanding of this industry is that many times it is doing more damage than good. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look in essence at what the troubled teen industry or TTI, as I like to say for short, it is, it is a network of underregulated and extremely powerful and punitive congregate care facilities that claim to reform youth struggling with mental health and educational challenges, but use that tough love uh, approach and other non-evidence-based practices. And because of the historic lack of regulation and accountability for care, it's led to a clear pattern of abuse. Right. And yeah. instead of providing actual therapeutic services and education, they, many young people leave these facilities experiencing maltreatment, psychological harm, sexual bodily assault, physical and medical neglect, civil rights violations, hospitalizations, and actually even death. There has been over 350 kids who have died in these facilities. The most recent ones, like not even a couple months ago. And it's not making it to front page like it should, you know? And I think that that highlights the issue in reporting, right? I think that if you are thinking about sending your child to one of these facilities, I feel like it should be a, a, a regulation that they have to say that someone had died there recently, right? I mean, that seems kind of <laughs> kind of basic. We have to we have to let people know when they buy a house if someone's died in the house. I don't know how we can send our kids and and yeah, I mean, I don't either. Matter. And it's it's antithetical to why the person, the parents are deciding, I would assume to have their child go through this process is for a brighter future for them. Exactly. And, and, and this is, you know, you, you use the term evidence-based and and that's yeah. that that's in my mind I'm trying to picture is there a set of disciplined research practices that these that many of these firms apply that are intended to help? Or it sounds like there's probably that, but then there's also a group of, of or a set of companies that are maybe not using any evidence-based research to apply to. Well, I think change. I think the hard part with that is that there's no regulations to what you say on your website and what you actually practice. So they are all, of course, using these therapeutic buzzwords to a T like, Ooh, CBT, DVT, EMDR therapy. Ooh, we've got lots of horses. Come and find out what we got. But like, if you talk to the kids, they're like, oh yeah, we had horses, but if we looked at them, we were restrained, you know? So the, the deceptive marketing mm -hmm. that is at play here and the fear mongering, and that's a huge component here. A lot of these parents, I'm sure some of you at home are thinking like, how would you do that as a, as a parent, send your kid there? Well, because they're telling the parents that if they want their kid to live, they got to make this decision. And they are pathologizing all of these behaviors to make them think their kid's going to end up in a, as a drug addict or on the right. street and they're suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I know of a situation that may be similar to this and it happened a long time ago, but they, the parents decided that a military school was Same the right. Thing. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. So basically how we would, you know, and there's different facilities out there that are, 
congregate care. There's psychiatric hospitals, right? That, but they have a they have a doctor. They have a doctor there 24-7, right? Mm -hmm. And there's different needs to be in an institution, like a crisis stay. If someone's, you know, suicidal ideations going on or something like that, we understand that you might need to spend a week or two getting stabilized and getting on medication yes. or whatever it is. But the fact is, is that these kids are spending anywhere from a year to four years for something like depression. And we know depression can be treated at home and there's right. nothing backing, backing the amount of time at all. And so that's kind of how we differentiate that. And then also it's a behavior modification approach. Same thing with boot camp or any kind of military camp, right? It's coercion to get what the desired result is. Do 20 push-ups or do seven pages in your journal. It's the same thing. It's it's using punishment to receive the desired action. And we are now kind of finding out if you talk to psychologists, child psychologists, like that's not the best way to get your kid to listen by using this tough love approach, right? So, you know, my personal opinion is you are to be recognize her being willing to share your story oh. and um and at some point you were able to take control of your life yes yeah yep and and now you're trying to raise the awareness for this and how what have you learned about advocacy for this issue as it relates to how the industry might be recognizing you or any pushback that you've gotten or on the positive side like you are today, are there organizations looking to amplify your message? Yeah. I mean, I think that what I've learned about advocacy in this troubled teen industry is just how prevalent it is. <laughs> like I was saying, I, I think that people hear it and they're like, oh yeah, that's where Paris Hilton went, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. But people don't understand that if they take the time to have that conversation with their friends, with their parents, with their aunts and uncles and cousins, they're going to find out that the troubled teen industry is a lot closer to their family than they thought. They're going to find people that are affected by this industry. And the re one of the reasons why we call ourselves unsilenced is because one of the rules in a lot of these programs were that we were put on silence. It was actually a, a rule. And many of these people would spend months not being able to speak to anyone. And so a lot of us survivors are still doing that, right? We may be on silence, but so many aren't. And so many feel like no one would care if they did talk about it. And I feel like what I've learned is that the more we talk about this and we normalize talking about it, more the more likely people are going to come out and be like, hey, you know, I actually went through that too. I didn't think anyone would care. And so that's really the most important thing is kind of relaying on to survivors that it's okay. It's okay that we went through this. It, we need to talk about it. And, and then furthermore, to find the community, there's a gigantic community of survivors that you, you know, you went for so long thinking that no one knows what you've been through. Well, think again, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are willing to just sit there and listen and totally empathize with what you went through because they did too. And when you, when you find that it's so empowering. So I think what I've really learned about the specific advocacy is that, is that by doing this work, we're actually helping ourselves to heal. Mm -hmm. And by helping other kids, we're able to heal those parts of ourselves that, you know, that 15 year old that didn't get helped. And it's, 
it feels really amazing. And I'm seeing it transform a lot of people and transform really the whole community in general. So what's tomorrow hold for you, Meg? Hmm. I mean, we just, you know, we envision a world where youth are free from institutionalization and really the voices of young people are respected in the development of their own mental, emotional, and physical well-being. That's that's our main goal. And we just want people to understand the dangerous consequences of removing children from their communities. So really just continuing to do the work, continuing to educate decision makers and communities and provide support for survivors who, who need that support following leaving the program and reintegrating into society. So that's pretty much what we want to do. And you're to be recognized for that and applauded to some <laughs> in some way. So if someone would like to, let's start with connect with you on LinkedIn and then yep. learn more about Unsilenced, how do you, where do you suggest they go? Yeah. So on LinkedIn, you can just search for me. It's uh, Meg Applegate. It's A-P-P-E-L-G-A-T-E. And um, even my Instagram's the same, at Meg Applegate, the same all around. And then if you want to learn more, please go to www.unsilence.org. And there is a wealth of information on there. If you are a survivor of a program and you want to learn more about your program, please go check out our archive. We have 100,000 documents that are ready to go through and learn more. We have information on over... I think it's over 3,500 different programs at this point. Yes. So please go learn more. And if you want to sign up for a support group, go there. You know, we're here. Your community is ready to take you in. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I applaud this because I, I believe uh, in the power of collective intelligence, peer learning, being around people who are like-minded, share experiences. And you're doing that for people that, uh, as far as I can, I can tell, have been left to figure it out on their own and you're bringing it to people's awareness and your advocacy should raise awareness. And I, uh, I'm glad we did, a, we're doing a little bit today to amplify your message and yeah. I hope it, it continues to build. And uh, I want to thank you for being a guest on our program, but more importantly, dedicating your time and treasures to this mission and this cause. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. And it's, it's been an honor to be here today. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'd like to thank the audience that's both listening to us live on the stream and in the future in the podcast channels. Uh, Meg's episode was episode number 1,415 and what is Orange County's longest running business talk show. If you're an entrepreneur or the leader of a nonprofit organization here in Orange County and you would like to tell your story to our audience, then reach out to me. I'm Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. And coincidentally, that's also uh, our website, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I truly hope all of your decisions will move your organization in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.